Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. Good morning, everyone. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 53. And um, if ever there is a portion of scripture that uh, shows forth the grace of God, it is this passage. I want you to remember what this is all about. You, 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 I'm going to repeat it time and time again because you have to get the context here. This is Isaiah. He is looking way ahead to the end of time. And he is seeing Israel repent after all of the centuries of rejection. They will repent and uh, Zechariah says that, the, that God will pour out his spirit upon them. And they will see him whom they have pierced. And he says that they will repent. That, folks, is grace. That is receiving certainly what is not deserved. So um, last week, we began um, a, a message. Well, was it last week or the week before that? I don't remember. I, anyway, never mind. It was the week before, right? Yeah. We, uh, we began a, a message that uh, I entitled uh, The Shameful Servant of Jehovah. Now, the, the, whole, the whole theme of this uh, chapter, and we begin in chapter 52, if you remember. We say it begins in 52, verse 13, 14, 15. It's about the servant of Jehovah, and uh, it's about suffering, that's the theme of it, and we asked ourselves eight questions, and uh, the last of the questions sort of took us into the part of the message, which was, why, why did they reject Jesus? Why did they reject him? And verses two and three are the answer to that question as the, as, as, as the nation, as the Jewish nation will cry out at the end of time in verses 2 and 3 of 53, it says, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. We began to answer that question as we started looking at verses two and three. That confession which follows uh, these verses, grows out of, we said, the lament that is depicted in Zechariah chapter 12. Specifically, verse 11, where it says that they lamented that they had not recognized the Messiah. Now, we gave three reasons as to uh, why, or what, what we find here, we, we it's three reasons as to why they didn't believe. They said they 
He had a shameful origin, and that's where we began in verse 2, the shameful origin, his shameful beginning. But then we will see that they saw that there was just a shameful life all throughout. And of course, to them, it's a very shameful end. But they're not criticizing it, folks, at this point, not in Isaiah 53. They are confessing it to be true. And that they as a nation did not believe. And so, um, we, we look at this phrase, verse 2. This is what we were looking at. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root of dry ground. Just to remind you, he grew up before him, meaning he was before God. He was in full view of God as he uh, came uh, to uh, redeem as a young, uh, as, a, 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 as a person born, as, as God made flesh. He was, he was unveiled before the Father. And then it says that uh, he grew up before him, it says, like a young plant or, or, or a young uh, uh, suckling plant, and the word we said was uh, a sucker branch, no? And we concluded that uh, it meant that it was a superfluous branch, it was small, unnecessary, uh, irrelevant, insignificant, it was random, and they said it made no sense to us, this was not the Messiah that we understood to be. Now, we come to the second part of that verse. We're answering the question, why did they reject him? They said, we reject him because he was like a suckling branch, a sucker branch. We, we rejected him because he had no purpose in, the, in, in, in life. And then the second part, he is like a root out of dry ground. So we'll start the new material. Father, would you speak to us, help us to understand these passages, these verses, Lord, and help us to see, Lord, not just what they as a nation are to do, but what we as individuals are to do also. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. He is like a root out of dry ground. So it's, you know, it's hot, arid land. The ground becomes parched and dry. And as the ground shrinks, you know, because of lack of water, you know that roots begin to then uh, appear. It, 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 what that proves simply is that somebody's not taking care of the tree. Uh, that's not a normal thing. That's not the way it's supposed to be. If, if something is being cared for, you're watering it, you're protecting those roots because they are what give the, the, nutri the nutrient to the tree. And he says, but we just saw him as this dry, brown, beat up um, root that was coming up out of the ground that no one was taking uh, care of. So, again, it's another way of saying he is unnecessary, unwarranted, unwanted, unimpressive. He had no value. His beginning was of no interest to us. Uh, no more significant than was that uh, sucker branch. He was just a dry root in a parched place that nobody cultivated because he had no significance. Uh, 
They're saying he had a miserable beginning. And they even said things like, what good thing could come out of Nazareth? They just couldn't believe that there was anything good in him. And his followers, what about his followers? It's interesting for us to understand how they perceived their followers. They weren't brilliant, they weren't educated, they weren't powerful, they weren't influential, they weren't important. There wasn't one rabbi, one Pharisee, one Sadducee, one priest, one scribe, nobody that mattered made a public appearance and joined to him. They were primarily fishermen, nobodies, with a few other oddballs scattered among them like a taxpayer or a terrorist. Who were these? The Jews looked at that and they said, wait a minute, this can't be the Messiah. This doesn't fit the profile that so highly developed over the centuries among the Jews of the glorious arrival of Messiah to liberate them from the oppression of Rome. There's a situation in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, that merits our attention. It's Mark 6, verses 2 and 3. He's in Nazareth. That's his town of origin where he grew up. And he has come back to uh, uh, speak at the synagogue. And, and listen to what takes place. It's the Sabbath. It came and began to teach in the synagogue. And the people were astonished at what he said. And they said, where did this man get these things? Now, understand, they knew who he was. This is his town where he grew up, a small little village called Nazareth. It's not even that big even today. You know, if it wasn't for the big church they have there, it wouldn't, there was not much to that village. Where did this man get these things? This nobody, this sucker branch, this dry root. Where did he get these things? Then they said, and wisdom given to him and such miracles as he performs. You realize what they just said? They acknowledge his wisdom. They acknowledged the things he taught. They acknowledged the miracles that he did. And then they said this, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brothers uh, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? They took offense at him. It, it, not only did it not impress them, they were offended that this kid who had grown up in their midst, who had now was uh, an adult, was speaking with such eloquence. Now, why would that offend him? Because they knew what he was claiming to be. Remember, that was when he stood up and said, these words are been now uh, um, uh, fulfilled in your midst when he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
They were offended at his claims. There is no way this could be the Messiah. So both figures depict the lowly and unattractive character of the small, though vigorous beginning, a young plant or a sucker branch and a root out of dry ground. Which then brings us to verse 2. Not only did he have a shameful beginning, but they saw a shameful life. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. They said he had shameful adulthood. Nothing royal about Jesus, nothing stately about Jesus, nothing elevated about him. In fact, the idea that he was king was so bizarre and so distasteful to them that they resented greatly that Pilate, on that day when they brought him for that mock trial, and he found himself forced to have to crucify because they held it against him and said, if you don't crucify him, we'll tell Caesar. Pilate was in no shape to take on any more complaints. And if you ever want to know why, ask me. I'll give you the history of Spain with Pilate on that. But uh, he couldn't take that anymore. And so Pilate knew that. So you know what he did? He said, okay, you want me to crucify him? Watch me get the last laugh. What did he do? His vengeance, his get back to the Jewish leaders, was to have a sign hung on that cross that said, John 19, 19, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That was him laughing in their face. And though Jesus displayed divine power, divine wisdom, divine truth, divine grace and holiness... They saw nothing of royal beauty in him. Nothing attractive about him. It's as if they quote themselves saying, we saw him, yeah, we saw him. And in his outward appearance, there was nothing attractive or delightful of any essence. They had shame for his origin, and they had shame for his life. That brings us to number three. He had a shameful end. What to us is victory over death, what to us is the redemption of our souls to death, to them it was nothing but a shameful ending. Verse three, he was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. His end is in view in these lines. They were not only ashamed of the beginning, they were not only ashamed of his life, they were ashamed of his death. 
Now remember this, we went through it in our, in our origin when we were sort of setting the background. We went to Romans chapter 10 where Paul speaks of Jews and how he would want them to be saved. And he said, I would give all of myself if I could make sure that my countrymen would come to receive Jesus as Messiah. And in Romans chapter 10, he said that they were self-righteous. That was the problem. That's why that death to them meant nothing because they were self-righteous. They felt that they could attain to all that God wanted on their own. They did not need that sacrifice. They didn't understand that this was the ram that was caught in the thicket when Abraham was sacrificing his son. They didn't understand that this was the Passover lamb that they had killed once and again and again for hundreds of years and thousands and thousands of times they had sacrificed these lambs and they didn't realize this was the lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. They didn't realize this was the blood that was placed on the doorpost and the, and the lintel of the house. They treated him with dis, disdain. They, they, they and they still do today. I don't know if you have ever had much to do with conservative Judaism or Orthodox Judaism, but there's things that are taught within the Talmud itself regarding Jesus because they, they just can't believe that he was and they make sure they tell their children and their children's children and their children's children that he was somebody to be ashamed of. Still do today. The Hebrew word for Jesus, I believe most of you would know, is Yeshua. Or Yeshua, some pronounce it Yeshua. The rabbis, though, throughout the years have changed the name and dropped the last A, and they call him Yeshu. Yeshu. It's an acrostic meaning let his name and memory be blotted out. Yimach Shemol. The strongest curse in the Hebrew language. Within the Talmud, it says that the rabbis call him the transgressor. He is called by the rabbis the Tolui, the hanged one. Curse it is whoever is hanged on a tree. Maybe one of the most painful things is the identification of Jesus in the Talmud to two individuals. One is named Joseph ben Stada and the other one is Miriam ben Pandera. This is blasphemy. But it's what they teach in order to negate the person of Christ. Ben Pandera is supposed to be his father. And Ben Stada is supposed to be his mother. His mother was a hairdresser who had an adulterous affair with a fellow by the name of Joseph Ben Pandera, a Roman mercenary and they produce Yeshu. 
May his name be blotted out. So he's the illegitimate son of a hairdresser, a Roman mercenary, who then, the rabbis say, grew up, moved to Egypt to learn the magical arts and to learn to lead men astray. That's in the Talmud. That's official teaching. Because they cannot even begin to accept that he was Messiah. Rabbis call his gospel Evangelagon. Evangelagon. Instead of evangel, which means good news, they call it the sinful writing. They have generations of scorn for Jesus to one degree or another. That's why Zechariah is grace. That's why Zechariah is such an incredible writing that at the end, they will be, that the Spirit of God will be poured upon them and they will understand and they will see and they will cry out. They will lament and they will pray back to God, Isaiah 53, as they say, we didn't get it. We didn't see him. We didn't get it. Of course, he was despised. It says it in verse 3 two times. He was despised. He was forsaken of men. Now, that's not as simple a phrase as you think it is because forsaken of men is, uh, is not in, in a general sense of men as any man. It's the idea here is of um, people of rank, people of authority. That means rulers, leaders, the prominent people, they say, nobody followed him. He was forsaken by our leaders, if our leaders said no, then, then it was no. So what do the populace say? Look, shameful beginning, shameful life, shameful end, in which no important person casted their lots with him. We look to our leaders and they cried out, what? Crucify him. I want to show you something in the Gospel of John, chapter 7. There's an important testimony there. It's uh, time to arrest Jesus. They wanted to arrest him. And so they sent the officers of the temple, the temple guards, to arrest him. Chapter 7 of John, verse 45, says this. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? They didn't arrest him. They sent him to arrest him, but they didn't. Came back empty-handed. Why didn't you arrest him? So these officers, these temple police said this. No one ever spoke like this man. They were like, we can't arrest him. Why would we arrest him? His words mesmerized them. His words made them to disobey their orders. We just don't know what to do with him. Verse 46, 
He says, he was shocked by his teachings. This is what it says. And the Pharisees answered and said this. The Pharisees answered him saying, have you also been deceived? Did he get to you? Did he wash your brains too? Did he brainwash you? Did he convince you with his magic from Egypt? Listen to what they said. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? They were saying, nobody important has believed. You should have done your job. He mesmerized you with his magic. So when the Jews look back from a future time, they're going to say, we looked at the beginning of his life, the middle of his life, the end of his life, and there was nothing about him that made, his attra- him, made him attractive that, that fit the picture of what Messiah was supposed to be. He had none of the people of distinction openly on his side. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. Not many mighty, not many knowable. The works, the power of Jesus was attributed, they said, to Satan. He does what he does in the name of Beelzebub. Their disdain was such that with all that he did in front of them, the only answer they could come up with was, he must be demon-possessed. That was their conclusion. Second year into his ministry. And when Jesus heard that, he shut the door. He then said, that's the last of my teaching to you. From now on I will teach you in parables and you will not understand so that you will not have ears to hear, eyes to see, and your hearts not be converted. Folks, I don't know if you understand that, but that is serious. I thought God was all about saving as many. Not if you don't want to. Not if you don't want to. There's a prayer that developed among the, pharaoh, uh, among the rabbis. And that prayer, you can still hear it today. It's this. May the followers of Jesus be suddenly destroyed without hope and blotted out of the book of life. That's how badly, that's how great is their shame of him and their disdain for him. Such was the depth of rejection and scorn. And so it says he ended up a man of sorrows. Verse 3, acquainted with grief. You just look at his life, and it's sad, they said. That can't be the Messiah. He was a loser. He wasn't able to deal with our real problems. What our real problem is, is we don't have two houses. We only have one. 
What our real problem is, is we don't have the expensive cars or the bank accounts. Our real problem is we got government on top of us telling us what to do. Oh, get rid of the Romans and we'll believe in you. He came to heal their souls. It sounds like the same thing of today, right? And so prosperity gospel teachers, they, they grab onto that and they come and they tell the masses, you come to Jesus, give you everything you need. And they follow by groves. Because what they don't want to hear is that they're dead in their trespasses and sins, separated from God, alienated from Jesus. And that apart from repentance, they will never see God. That's not a popular thing. You know, folks, I've been around so long. Once in a while, I get invited to certain churches. And I can, trust me, I can turn it on. And they think that I can do just the same as their pastors. Except I won't say the things that I know are not true. But I could do that. I know how it works. I could tell you that God loves you no matter how you are. He accepts you no matter how you are. You don't have to change. And that God has nothing but good things for you. And we'd fill this place up twice. But I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I wouldn't. I don't know how they sleep at night. Because that's not what the word says. Young man came, Pastor Carlos was with me, he sat in that back table. You would have thought he came to, to ask Jesus to save him. Anybody would have said, oh, you know, he wants to repent, hallelujah. Just tell him to pray the prayer, pray the prayer and you'll be saved. And I knew that wasn't the case. I knew it. So I said to him, if you want God, it's going to cost you everything you have. You want Jesus to save you? It's going to cost you your drugs, your smoking, your drinking, your friends. It's going to cost you all your life that you have right now. Do you want Jesus? He did say to me, he said, I've been to other churches. Since this is the first time anyone's ever told me this. I'm not going to peddle some cheap gospel where all you have to do is pray your prayer. Now you're saved. Ah, there's a price to be paid. Oh, yes, the gospel is free. Yes, salvation is free in that anyone can receive it. But it's going to cost you the rest of your life to identify with Jesus. You think he was despised, forsaken, rejected, and you're going to be accepted? Come on. They rejected him, he said, they will reject you. A man of sorrows. That's the word for pain. He was a man of pain. He was acquainted with grief. That's the word for sickness. He was a man of pain and sickness. He said, that's how we saw him. He is himself a man of sorrows, literally pain. But it's not external pain. It's the sorrow of the heart because he was rejected. 
They said him, they saw him as a sad person in pain, sick. This can't be the great leader. This can't be the Messiah. This can't be our savior. Where's his victory? Verse three, he was despised and we esteemed him not. We considered him nothing. We considered him non-existent. That's the ultimate scorn. He is a nobody to us. That's how we saw him. This is a confession, folks. Read verse 2 and 3 for what it is. It is the confession of a nation that says, this is what we thought of him. The ultimate scorn. That's the historical view of Jesus from a Jewish point of view. This isn't Gentile confession. Isaiah 53 isn't some Gentile confession. This is a Jewish confession at the end of time. You know what that is called? Grace. That after these many centuries, God would still pour his spirit upon the entire nation and save the entire nation because of his mercy. Even though they have rejected him so openly. This is not a Gentile assessment of Jewish unbelief. This is Jewish unbelief being ascended, being taken the assessment of we rejected him, now we must repent. If you have been rejecting Jesus, these are the words that you need to speak. You need to see that you've despised him, that you did not value him, esteem him, that you rather hold on to religion than to the Christ that would want to change you. Romans 1.6, Paul reminds us, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So let me close by taking you one last time into the book of Acts. I said to you that Isaiah 53 is seen throughout the entire New Testament in so many ways. The fifth gospel, Acts chapter 3, I want to read to you verse 17 through 20. But first, listen to the setting up of what's about to happen. This is Peter. This is the sermon at the temple, uh, uh, at the temple mount there, um, the uh, Solomon's um, portico, after chapter two, which is the, the, the sermon of Pentecost. So this is his second sermon. Now, now, I want you to listen to what's going on. He says, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Remember, he was there. He could sense that 
Pilate was ready to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer, Barabbas, to be granted to you and you killed the author of life. Now, pick it up at verse 17. Verse 17, he calls them brethren. Now brethren, as he speaks to the Jewish ear, hearers, speaking to this crowd, he calls them brothers. He says, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did. But the things which God announced before by the mouth of all the prophets, what things? That his Christ should suffer. What do you think he was thinking about? What do you think he was thinking about? He was thus fulfilled. Man, he must have had Isaiah 53 in his mind. He must have been saying, didn't you see it? Didn't you see it? It was right there. What was written 650 years ago just took place in front of you. So where do you think he's going? Verse 19, therefore, repent. It says, repent and return and your sins will be wiped away. Because he knows it's a confession. He knows that those verses are the confession of a people that said, what on earth did we do? He wants them to sort of jump ahead and, 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 and get to the point of confession a lot quicker. Sounds very much what Jesus said when he said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Verse 20, I want to close with this thought here. It says, repent, verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus. You know what he's saying to them? He is encouraging them to pray that prayer of Isaiah so that the Spirit of God will fall upon them. Receive the grace. It's an incredible passage. And we're just getting started. I trust that you understand that kind of grace. I remember once as a stupid teenager dialoguing religion with a handful of other stupid teenagers. We thought we were theologians, you know? We're trying to conclude what is all this thing about Jesus. Our friends, it was at a time when, well, I guess, it's, I guess it's still here today. I don't know if you remember. Once and again, there'll be these rumors that Jesus was a homosexual, right? There's always been around. That's not new. I remember that as a teenager when I was in a believer. And we began to extrapolate as to who Jesus was. 
I tell you some of the stupidities we said. But I remember that. As the days and months and years came that I became a believer and it dawned on me one day. Oh my word. What did I say? What on earth did I say? And yet he still life. Still poured mercy upon my life. That is my God. That's the God that says to us, repent. Because this isn't about religion. This is about you knowing the Messiah. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father, what can we say we are your children we have repented we have made peace with you if we have not well the opportunity is still there you are still making it available you are still inviting that whoever can may come but yet in the midst of all that truth father of life in us we still say, why? It wasn't you. You were beautiful. You were gorgeous. You were indeed the Rose of Sharon. It was us who were ugly. We were the ones, Father, that were not worth looking on. And yet you did. And yet you did. I pray, Father, that every soul in this house today would know that their eternity has been settled by Christ at the cross. Thank you, Father, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly, a ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.icatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.